I'm excited today to talk about this unoffendable theme again. And we're talking about this idea that sometimes we get offended. I know you've never been offended in your life before, right? Some of you guys are going, I'm offended. You joked about me never being offended. It's so easy to get offended. And uh, all you have to do to offend me is say one of the following things. I mean, you can just tell me I'm not as annoying as I used to be, you know? Like, just, you let me know I'm still annoying, but not as much as maybe I once was. You can, you can just say you don't like somebody that I love, and I will struggle with offense. You can say I'd be such a better leader if I just saw things clearly, right? The way you see them, right? You can say, man, Doug, I don't know how you did it, but you figured out a way to make that whole dad bod thing kind of work, you know? Like, just let me know one of those things, and I'll be sure to get a little bit offended. Now, some of you guys can, can feel my pain, right? You, you, you wrestle with the same stuff. All somebody's got to do is tell you how much better their kid is at you, that, than your kid at uh, you know, sports or musical instrument or uh, some kind of school subject. Somebody's just got to tell you how much more money they have than you. Somebody's got to tell you what a better parent they are than you because they would never let their kid do X, Y, or Z, right? Somebody's just got to remind you one more time why, they, why, they, why they're engaged and you're still looking, right? It's so easy to get offended. And in this series, when I use the term offended, I'm not as much talking about that initial kind of blood boiling moment where you get a little bit hurt about something as I am the anger or the offense that we can then kind of hang on to because of those situations. And so I think that this theme will help us grow in sort of that initial response to being hurt. But I, I pray even more, it'll help us learn how to work through our offense and not give into things like anger and unforgiveness and hold on to resentment. Now, as I said last week, man, just a couple reminders, we're more easily offended now than ever before. Our sensitivities are way up, but I also would say too, I think the issues are bigger. When I was a kid, it was just not nearly as pressing issues people were upset about inside church. Um, when I was a kid, no, I'm sorry, when I was a little older, when I was working on staff at Island Christian Church, Pastor Ayers called all the pastors into his office and said, hey, I want to have a meeting with you guys. I, wanna, I want you to learn from my successes and some of my failures. And so he talked about this one thing he called the great hot dog fiasco of 85. And he began to explain the church had put on a barbecue and they had bought way too many hot dogs. I guess they didn't go like they thought. And so as, uh, as they were wrapping it all up, my pastor thought, you know what? There's a lot of hot dogs here and they could go to waste. So I'm going to go. And he approached the church treasurer and said, I'd like to buy the remaining hot dogs. My family will eat them over time. And the church treasurer looked back and said, oh, no, no, no. You can't do that, pastor. These are the church's hot dogs. And he was like, no, no, no. I like to buy them because what's going to happen is we're going to put them in a freezer and they're going to be in there so long they start growing limbs and there'll be a church work day like 18 years from now. We finally take them out and throw them out. So I'll just buy them from you and my family will eat them and they'll, nope, no, pastor, I'm sorry. I cannot allow, this is God's finances. These are the, and he called this the great, uh, great hot dog fiasco of 85 and there was nearly a church split over this issue with the hot dogs. Guys, I'll tell you what, we're not arguing about hot dogs anymore, are we, Right. Now we're arguing about a lot of different things. So now we've got safety, right? Should we be meeting? Shouldn't we be? Are we wearing enough masks? Are we wearing too many masks? A racial brokenness. How do we find our way through all of that? And then the political stuff that we're struggling with. And, and man, just people being so nasty to one another and struggling so much in these ways. There's so much to be offended about. And so for these several weeks, I really want to talk about how we get through it. 
And before I jump in any further, I want to remind you once again that you are not the inspiration for this message. I didn't like park outside your house and write this message as I'm staring angrily at your window, okay? That'd be super creepy, and it's not what I did. Uh, instead, if I have something I got to talk with you about, if there's something that, I, that I'm hurt about or you're hurt about and we need to work something out, then we're going to have a conversation. I'm not going to get up here and kind of read your mail in front of everybody, okay? So uh, you are not the inspiration for this. And I have my own issues in my heart I'm working through too. And as I told you last week, one of the things God impressed in my heart, Doug, don't ask people to go where you're not willing to go. Don't ask them to become unoffendable if you're not willing to work on it too. And so I want you to know this is going on in my heart too. So the book is called Unoffendable. Brant Hansen is the author. Many of you guys have started reading it. Some of you have finished reading it. I love it. We've got people buying extra copies, giving them to other people. It's been incredible. And what I would love for our whole church to do is read this book. You can get the Kindle download. You can get on iBooks. You can get the actual book. If you don't have the money for it, our church will buy it for you, give it to you. It's that important. And so I pray you're reading that along with this message series, because this message series isn't Brant's stuff, like just kind of given to you guys. It's stuff that God put on my heart, but it goes right along with this theme of being unoffendable. And I pray they complement each other well. And as we saw last week, this is so important to talk about because if the enemy can't destroy our faith, he will destroy our unity, right? He'll come after our unity. He'll distract us from living for Jesus and loving one another well. Uh, there, there's some students here today, right? And some of you guys are back in school. Some of you guys are doing maybe some distance learning. But I know for me, whenever I had a, a teacher, this is awful to say, but when I had a teacher that I knew I could kind of get off topic, I would go ahead and try as much as I could to get them off topic. And so if you're sitting in science class and your professor's talking about chlorophyll and you're like, this is more like borophyll, and you're sitting there thinking, man, how can I get them off? And suddenly you remember your professor, your teacher likes football. And so you say, you know, professor, the, the element on the chart there, that specific element kind of looks a little bit like the field goal post, you know, and the next hour he's gone, man. Oh, I was at the Super Bowl in 91, and I mean, he's just off, right? He took the bait, and he went for it, and now he's off mission. And my fear is, guys, that's what the enemy's doing to you and me. The enemy's picking us off a little bit. He's getting us off mission. He's, he's getting us to have our attention on something so much less important, and I think that that's the danger, and that's why we have to really talk about becoming unoffendable, because as you and I are trying to make our case and win our argument, get people on our side. Like there's a world going to hell, everybody, right? And so we've got to stay on mission. We've got to stay focused on what Jesus has us here for, right? And again, as I said last week, doesn't mean we can't have a political opinion. Doesn't mean we can't have an opinion on mass and how we get through the racial brokenness. I'm not saying that. This one just has to be louder. Jesus has to be the loudest thing about us. And so last week we saw that we're going to choose to be unoffendable because God alone sees all, right? Like there's another side to every story. Everybody that we come in contact with is loved and is in process just like we are. There's things in their backstory we don't know. There's reasons they're acting like they're acting. We may not understand. And Paul said that God alone is the one who sees all. And therefore, we should live for him and we should let him have the final word, right? And so we wrap everything in grace. We wrap every conversation in humility and love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you understand some of the stuff we're wrestling with, right? And today we're going to talk a bit more about this. We're going, to, we're going to get some huge motivation to live the undefendable life. We're going to learn a bit more how to live the undefendable life. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be going, I don't know about all this God stuff, but I feel the tension in the air. I know the world feels like I've never felt it before. And so what do we do? How do we navigate this? And ultimately, where's our hope? We're going to see that here today. And so Paul wrote... 
some friends in Philippi a letter. We're going to look at first half of it this week, uh, of this portion anyway, and the next half of that chapter next week. But here's what Paul says, and this is so important. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement, ready? Now pay attention. If you have any encouragement, in other words, he's saying if any of these things I'm about to list have made a difference in your life, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, He's saying, okay, here's a bunch of gifts God's given you. You know at Christmas, somebody pulls out a whole stack of gifts for you, and you're sitting there going, wow, look at all those gifts that somebody put together for me. Well, Jesus has given you a bunch of gifts. The first one is being united with him. Have you ever felt condemned? Maybe you weren't loved. Have you ever felt like you were forsaken and alone? Well, guess what? You and I have been given a gift called being united with Christ. Okay, and Paul's arguing that being united with Christ should make us live a certain way, okay? He brings up another gift. He says, you have the comfort of God's love. I've been pretty transparent on social media about just, man, there's a lot of sad things happening in our world right now. And sometimes I'm really kind of weighed down by, excuse me, weighed down by those things. And the interesting thing here is, is Paul's telling me that there's a comfort of God's love that can bring help and healing and joy to my soul. That's another gift you and I have unwrapped that God gave us. And so Paul's saying, okay, you've been united with Christ. You have the comfort of his love. These things should make you live a certain way. Then he says, you have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us, direct us, convict us, and empower us, right? And then he wraps up, uh, unwraps another gift. He says, here's some tenderness and compassion of God's love. And so if you're going through hardship, here are these gifts you've been given. And he's saying, look, if any of this stuff means anything to you, if it means anything to you that you're united with Christ, that you have the compassion of his love, then it should change how you and I treat one another, right? It should impact us. There was a person when I was uh, probably 20 years old that knew some horrible things that I had done in my life. And not only had I done some horrible things, I had really hurt this person because of those horrible things I had done in my life. And I have to tell you, even though this person knew these things about me, they forgave me in such a way that it transformed me forever. Like them showing me compassion and mercy and love changed how I treated not only them, but others. And I have to tell you, the person that forgave me hurt me after they forgave me. But do you know how I treated them? With grace and humility and love, because that's what they had done for me. And not only was I changed in how I treated them, it also impacted how I treated others. In fact, the thing I did to that person, and I say this by God's grace, I've never done to anyone in my life since. And I don't say that because I think I'm greater. I think it was the grace in the moment. It was the gift of their forgiveness that empowered me to live a different way. And Paul is saying here that all these things that we've been given have to make us live a different way. Well, Paul, what's the different way? How do I live in response to these Christmas gifts, so to speak, that Jesus has given me? He says this in the next part. He says, if all this matters to you, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. All right, I want everybody to say like-minded. Go for it. Like-minded, all right? He says, if unity with Jesus, the comfort of his love, all those gifts you've unwrapped mean anything to you, then be like-minded. But here we have a huge objection, right? We go, how can I be like-minded with somebody I'm not like-minded with? Like, how can I be like-minded with somebody I disagree so much with when it comes to politics and mass and the racial brokenness? And, and, and then, I mean, forget about it. Even look at your marriage. Look at your relationship with the person you're dating. Look at the, the person at school or work. How can I get along with this person if I'm not like-minded? Paul's telling me to be like-minded. How can I pull this off? Well, it's really simple, everybody. It really, truly is simple. 
It's not always easy to live out, but it's a simple answer. The answer is this, I have to find something that I can rally around that's greater than all of our differences, right? Here's what I want you to get deep in your heart. Jesus is our rallying point. You ever rallied around something? You got around some kind of cause? You believed in something, some kind of event or thing you were gonna accomplish? You rallied around that thing with people, right? Well, Jesus is our rallying point. In fact, I'm gonna say it, then you say it. Jesus is our rallying point. You say it. Jesus is our rallying point, right? That's how we pull this off. And then all the other things can become secondary, right? This is so big. Because we talk about safety and we got people going, oh, I'm in the, I'm in the no mask bunch. And, and where's your faith, people? Come on, just trust God. Take that mask off, right? Then you got people in the mask bunch going, wait a minute, we're loving our neighbors better than you. Put your mask on. And okay, well, there's some disagreement there. There's some tension there. Are we going to figure that out in a conversation? Probably not. But here's what I can tell you, whether you're wearing a mask or not, Jesus is my rallying point with you, Right? Well, what about the, po- or the racial brokenness? I don't know, man. I, I think we need to see healing come to our nation this way, and I think it's going to come that way. Okay, well, I don't know that we're going to figure that out between a conversation between the two of us, but if we can rally around Jesus, let's go. But what about politics? I mean, if you believe that, there's no way we can have a relationship. If you voted for so-and-so, no way. No, wait, wait, wait. If Jesus is our commonality, then we can rally together around him. That doesn't mean, like I said last week, that we don't have conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for the truth. We get the word of God out. And again, that's how we vote. We line up with the word of God. Many of you guys reached out to me this week, said, hey, send me that list you talked about of a list of kind of what the different parties stand for. And then you line that up next to the word of God, right? That's how we vote. But we so frequently allow this stuff to destroy our faith. It's, it's getting the science teacher off topic, right? The enemy's winning by getting us divided on all these things. Again, we can talk about them, but if we leave at the end of the day angry at each other, offended with each other, I can't be in the same church as those people. I can't ever talk to those people again. I can't associate with those people. The enemy is winning. Unless, listen, there is a rallying point that we are so passionate about, that is so eternity changing, that is so world upside down turning, that we can be like-minded about, that we can rally around, that we can look to our Savior who doesn't disqualify us from a relationship with him because sometimes we don't think and act like he wants us to, right? This is what we have to rally around. And here is the key, okay? I can be like-minded with somebody I'm not like-minded with if we're both like-minded about Jesus. I can be like-minded with somebody I'm not like-minded with if we're both like-minded about Jesus. Okay, I want you to say that with me. You're like, Doug, that was really confusing, okay? I'm gonna break it up for you, okay? I'm gonna say the first part, you say it. I'm gonna say the second part, you say it. Third part, you say it. You ready? So say this with me. I can be like-minded with somebody. I can be like-minded with somebody. I'm not like-minded with. I'm not like-minded with if we're both like-minded about Jesus. Say that with me. If we're both like-minded about Jesus. And let me add here, we still love people who aren't like-minded about Jesus, right? Like we still look at everybody in the eyes and say, okay, you do believe in Jesus? You don't? Well, I'm going to love you either way. But there's this special unity and rallying point we can have as the people of God when we rally around Jesus. D.A. Carson says something so powerful. This guy's a brilliant theologian. If you don't like me, that's okay. If you don't think I'm all that smart, that's okay. If you don't like my preaching or my theology, you know what? Listen to this guy. Listen to what he says. The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's not made up of natural friends. Like you realize that, right? Like we have so many different opinions about so much. Oh my gosh. 
He says it's not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, race, income levels, politics, nationality, accents, jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collection, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. Ready? This is such a powerful statement. I'm going to say it twice. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Guys, that's us. We are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And I truly believe that all of us coming together, having these different backgrounds, different skin colors, different beliefs about this, that, and the other, and listen, putting them aside and saying, God, we're going to love one another anyway, I think that brings so much glory to God. I really do. I believe it brings way more glory to God than finding a group of people that believe everything we believe and finding unity there. Because that's kind of easy. I believe it's when we band together around a natural cause named Jesus, this amazing life changer, this amazing uh, factor in the equation that brings the unity, that it brings him so much glory, that he can look at you and I and say, the thing I love about that gathering at Living Word right now is that they would never be sitting next to each other in the cars in a similar parking lot for any other reason, unified around anything but me. Here they are. They've chosen to make me their rallying point. I believe that brings such joy to the heart of God. And so Paul goes on. He says, okay, you've been given these gifts in Christ. If they mean anything to you, let's have one mind. And then he says this, the next part, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Again, this is only possible because of Jesus, right? Because it's Jesus' love and spirit and mind that you and I have in common. And so that's going to be the thing that we're going to find our foundation is in, right? And so we can put the other stuff into a different category altogether. And I think one of the things we have to realize, everybody, is if I had a scale up here, right? And I put our opinions on masks and safety and politics and what's going to bring healing in our nation on the one side, right? I put all of those opinions on the one side and then I put Jesus on the other. We have to recognize that Jesus far outweighs all of the other stuff. And I think that's where we get confused sometimes. Like sometimes we think, oh no, my political opinion is just as important as Jesus. My safety opinion is just as important. as No, it's, it's just not. It can't ever be. Because the political opinion isn't going to matter in eternity. The, the safety opinion isn't going to matter in eternity, right? There are things politically that line up with what needs to matter in how we live out our lives, how we vote, again, all that. Like that matters. But like my Doug Jansen's opinion on politics, safety, and what could heal our nation right now will not be talked about in heaven, right? But Jesus will. And so that has to always outweigh it goes on, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Guys, this is so against our nature, right? This is how we live the unoffendable life. We value others better than ourselves. We don't see that a lot. Our youth pastor, Joey, was telling me that back in August when that crazy storm hit and knocked all our trees down in like 20 minutes, that there were fights in Lowe's over chainsaws. 
Like, I don't know if that's the greatest thing to be fighting over in the first place, right? Grab the wrong side of that, you're going to have a problem that might just rate a little bit lower than the great hot dog fiasco of 85, right? Could be a problem. But this is kind of who we are as, as the human race. It's so sad, but, but it's so much easier to value ourselves higher than everybody else. And there's this mindset, this mindset that you and I have to get into. Well, what's the mindset, Doug? We're going to see it in just a second. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Do you know that a man was stabbed to death because he cut in line in a chicken restaurant? Like he, he was stabbed to death because he cut in line trying to get some food. This is the world that we live in. And so there's gotta be a mindset change. Now, maybe you'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Like I would never do that to anybody. Of course, of course, right? But we think about killing the guy in line who cuts in front of us. We think about knocking out the person that cut us off on the expressway. We think about taking revenge on the person who destroyed our life in this last season, right? We think about all that and we wrestle with all that. And so there's something in our brain and our soul that the Holy Spirit wants to be working on here. And so what is that mindset? The unoffendable mindset, you ready? Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's the mindset. It's the mind of Jesus. The Greek word is phroneo, the phroneo of Jesus. Phroneo means an attitude based on careful thought. In other words, you wanna have to put some effort into seeing our mindsets change because otherwise we're just gonna keep on wanting to knock people out. We're going to keep on wanting to hold on to revenge. We're going to keep on wanting to make our point and make our stance. We're going to keep on driving our spouse away. We're going to keep on driving our kids away and our parents away. We're going to just keep on going after, chasing after what feels like it's, it's owed to us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. There's this whole other way of thinking. The freneo of Christ. One commentator says, let the same kind of thinking dominate you as it dominated Christ Jesus. And then we get an example here. You guys ready for this? What does the mindset of Jesus look like? Here it is. He being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus' mindset was he, he was perfectly equal with the Father, right? Just think about this. Before Jesus came to earth to be the Savior, he is perfectly equal with his Father, and so he had every right, just like you and I sometimes think we have this right. We, we try to equate ourselves or almost like figure out, is, am I better than that person, equal to them or less than, right? And I think often we, we don't think we're less than usually. We'll often say, oh, I'm probably better than them, and at least in this way or that way. Or, or I can at least equate with them. I'm at least as good with them. And, and when I'm, I think I'm at least as good with them, as them in, in this way or that, it leads to some pretty scary things because now suddenly I'm judging everything on, based on what I would do. I was recently sitting in a, a situation where I was trying to get two parties to come to an agreement. I was trying to help some people navigate a tough situation. And as I was there, some, one of them said something really powerful. We're actually sitting right here, right back here on these chairs that, that Laura and and Dawn are sitting on right now, and, and we're sitting back here and talking, and as we were discussing, somebody said, you know, I think I was, I was giving you a really hard time because you weren't acting how I would have acted in that situation. But God really convicted me that you're not necessarily supposed to do it how I do it, right? And so sometimes we, we look down on somebody, we, we say they're less than us because they're simply not doing it the way that we would do it, but you and I are not the standard for how we do things, right? Like the, the Lord's the standard for how we do things. And so Jesus, think about this, 
is in heaven with his father, perfectly equal with the father, has every right to look at the father and say, you know what, I'm not going for those people to get put up on a cross, to be tortured, to become the man of sorrows. I'm not going, I mean, you wanna go, you go, but we're equal here. I don't understand why I get this part of it, right? Had every right to have that attitude, but instead he looked at the mess of you and me and said, oh no, I'm going. I will make myself a servant here. I will not consider this equality something to be held on to. That's my mindset, Jesus is saying. And remember, Paul's saying, you've been given all these gifts. It's Christmas morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. You've been given this uh, unity with the, with the Lord. You've been given this comfort from his love. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And if all that matters to you, then have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He goes on, verse seven. It says, rather, he made himself nothing, Let's talk about that for a second. He made himself nothing. That word made is really important because it implies a choice, right? He made himself nothing. That means you and I get to choose to be unoffendable. I don't know anybody who's lived more unoffendable life than Jesus. He's called the friend of sinners. He would sit with those who were abandoned. He would touch the leper. The leper was unclean. Nobody touched the leper. The leper had to live in their own community. They weren't even allowed by everybody else. Jesus would just go touch them, heal them, love on them. Right, the most unoffendable person who ever has lived. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Can you imagine if you and I took that mindset of Christ? I think about it. Guys, this is not easy for me. I hope you know that, right? Like I'm talking to my own heart. I need this so badly. But if you and I would approach conflict, guys, think about our marriages. Think about how we talk with our kids, our parents. Think about how we interact with those that we're dating and and hanging out with. Think about what it would look like in the office or at school if you and I would, before every conversation, just like Jesus, go, I'm just going to make myself nothing for a minute. Not nothing like you're worth nothing. I'm just going to, Allow the, the things I think I'm owed to be just taken off the table right now. And I'm just gonna take on the mindset of Christ, take the nature of a servant. Again, it doesn't mean you're worthless. It just means I'm not coming into this thinking I'm owed something. I'm not coming into this conversation thinking I'm owed people hearing my opinion, respecting it, and then doing what I want them to do. I don't, I'm not coming into my marriage conversation. I'm not going to talk with my kids today. I'm not going right, to interact with people with this assumption that I am owed this, right? Because Jesus made himself nothing and emptied himself of that. He took all that he was owed off the table when he came for you and me. And you and I can live an unoffendable life as we begin to live more and more like that. And then we get the description of what it looked like for Jesus to empty himself and become this amazing sacrifice. In verse eight, it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The maker of all things killed by his humanity, right? Killed by the humans that he placed here. The one who wove it all together sacrificing his own life. And I love that it says, even death on a cross. Why does it emphasize that? Because the cross was the worst way to go, the the worst possible scenario you could imagine. And isn't it interesting that that's when Jesus chose to come. That's when the, the father's plan was to send him, was at the time, capital punishment, the way he would be executed would be at his worst. And this is what Jesus did for us, guys. Listen, I'm living in the tension of all this with you. This is not easy. It is hard to say, okay, I'm gonna choose this. 
I'm going to make myself nothing. I'm going to take all expectations off the table. This, again, this, and, and in the tension of this, listen, there's, there's a balance to all this, right? It doesn't mean that if you're being physically abused, if you're being sexually abused, if you're just, you know, like I'm not saying we just, okay, just do whatever you want to me now. Like there's a balance in all this. There's a tension. If you need to talk about that tension, please connect with my wife and I. We'll talk with you. We'll help you navigate that. But at the end of the day, the bigger picture stuff, we're able to say, okay, I'm going to just be like Jesus. I'm going to choose this. I'm going to choose this unoffendable nature that Jesus somehow had and carried and, and walked out so beautifully. And so we've been given these gifts. We have this amazing unity with Jesus. We have the love and compassion he pours out on us. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul says, if that matters to me and you, then here's what we do. We become like him. We become like-minded. We, we do what he did in emptying ourselves and, and making the choice to honor and to love. And so my bottom line is so simple today. Very simple to say, much more challenging to live out. But let this be your inspiration this week. I will choose to be unoffendable because of Jesus. Bottom line, I will choose to be unoffendable because of Jesus. And you could go on and on and list all the things Jesus has done for us and given us. And there are a billion reasons why Jesus makes this incredibly motivating, if not just his example on the cross and being placed down in the grave and rising again to rescue us, the mess that we were. I mean, you could go on and on. And figure out reasons why looking to Jesus should make you and, my, you and I unoffendable. But let's start here. Jesus is our rallying point, everybody. Jesus is our rallying point. I can choose to make Jesus bigger than every other thing. And again, not that the other things don't matter, but now he's just so much more important to me. I would so rather win you to my savior than to my conviction politically, racially, or safety-wise, or any of these other things. I would so much rather that if I have to choose one, and sometimes we have to choose one, everybody, right? Sometimes the world only hears one message from us, so I'm gonna make sure it's Jesus first and foremost. And then I'm gonna line up everything safety-wise, politically, racially, I'm gonna take all that, I'm gonna place that under my relationship with Jesus and say, now Lord, breathe into this and help my love for you and my shining for you, which we're gonna talk more about next week. Let all of that make a difference in what I believe in all these areas of my life. But I can come together with you because I can be like-minded with somebody I'm not like-minded with if we're both like-minded about Jesus. Now, some of you guys might say, okay, but what about like theological differences, Doug? You're, you're saying I could be like-minded with people if we're like-minded about Jesus, but what, what about when I disagree about stuff about Jesus with somebody? Like, then what? Well, there are these two famous theologians and pastors who lived a long, long time ago. Some of you guys may remember this story. So powerful. George Whitfield and John Wesley. And these two guys couldn't agree about two things. One of them was predestination and free will. And they like would go at it, these two guys, to the point where for a while they couldn't even be in a friendship. But eventually they, they worked out their differences and they were able to put aside their differences and rally around Jesus. And one of them ended up doing the other's funeral. They became that close. At the funeral, somebody came up to John Wesley and said, will we see George Whitfield in heaven? Can I just pause there for a minute? Because the arrogance behind that question should make our stomachs turn. Like what this person was saying to John Wesley was, because George Whitfield believed differently about free will or predestination, will he even be in heaven? That's like the essential, like 
picture of arrogance that because I believe this about Jesus and you believe something else about Jesus, one of us isn't going to heaven. My gosh, God save us from that, right? And so she says, will, will he be in heaven or will we see him in heaven? And John Wesley had the best reply. He said, no, because he will be so close to the throne of God, we won't even get a glimpse like that is the heart, everybody. That's the attitude you and I have, even when we disagree with Christians about theology and Jesus. We still look at one another and we esteem one another higher. We say, okay, I really disagree with you about end times, free will, whatever. But I'll tell you what, I respect and see the work of God in you so much that you're probably gonna be a good bit ahead of me in that line to get to be near Jesus when we're worshiping. Wow. That's the heart of humility. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we do. We rally around Jesus. I can be like-minded with you as long as we're like-minded about Jesus. And even if we're not, I'm gonna still love you. I'm gonna still point you to him. Jesus didn't take this measuring he had, this equation or this being equated with his father he had to his advantage, but he instead took on the mindset of a servant and he let it cost him everything. My question for you and I is, what does it look like for us to live this out? Like, what do we look like when we approach our spouse this way? What do we look like when, again, as a parent, there are times we've got to discipline, we've got to point our kids in the right direction, the hard conversations, the whole deal. But what if, and I'm saying this to my own heart as my kids are sitting right there in that car, what if my parenting came from this loving, gracious humility where I am not acting ever out of anger. I'm not acting out of offense. They did this, they did that. I, I had this expectation. You didn't meet my expectation. And now, like, what if instead I just genuinely love them and said, okay, yes, you're disciplined, but here's why. Because, man, there are consequences in life and there's a Savior who loves you and he wants you to be near to him. And, and what you did wasn't, wasn't going to help in that way. And so, yes, there's, there's a consequence, but hear my heart. Hear why I'm saying what I'm saying. Like, I am for you and I love you. Right? Imagine parenting that way. Imagine dating that way. Imagine walking in the office this week in our schools this week. Imagine texting that way. Can we just stop texting? Can we talk instead? Maybe we just get rid of, of these stupid devices. There's a series coming on that. Just hang on. But, but man, if we could just love like Jesus has loved us, what a difference it would make. When I stand before God, look, look, I'm imperfect. I, I, when I stand before God, there will be things I have done that are wrong, obviously, of course. I would so much err, rather err on the side of grace than err on the side of being a Pharisee. I would so much rather stand before God and have him say, you know, Doug, you're, you're a little too gracious. If that's what he has to say to me before I stand before him, then I think that's worth it. Then having him stand, me stand before him and say, Doug, you alienated so many people from me because of your religion because of your rules. Look, rules are important. We're gonna talk about that next week. Rules are important, but rules do not save people. Grace does. Max Lucado tells the story of two businessmen back in 1882. And these two businessmen both wanted to build and owned property. The problem was one of them owned a huge lot of property and the other one only owned five feet by 104 feet 
right up against this other person's property. So the one businessman approached the other one and said, hey, I'd like to build some apartments and they're going to overlook your little five foot by 104 foot piece of property. So can I buy that from you for $1,000? And the man back in 1882 laughed. He said, no, it's, it's worth 5,000. They couldn't come to an agreement. And so the man who wanted to build the apartment said, okay, well, I don't own that property, but I guess I'll just build my apartments anyway. And so he built them up and his whole heart was to have windows around all the outsides of the apartment. And he wanted them to overlook the one uh, that would overlook this man's property to the street in the city. Well, as soon as the apartments went up, guess what the other businessman did who owned that property? He built a five foot, this is history. You can Google it, it's true. You can see pictures of it. It's insane. He built a five foot wide by 104 foot long, four story building, just as tall as the other guys, just to block his windows. And him and his wife moved in. I mean, this is truth. They moved into a five foot by 104 foot apartment on the face of this guy's building and they called it the spite house. Think about that. Only one person could walk in a hallway at the time. Their table was 18 inches. That's probably about half the size of the table I have right here. And they chose to remain there just to stick it to them. 14 years they lived in a four, or five, four foot by 104 foot house. You know, that, that, that house was torn down in 1915, but I think some of you and sometimes me, we, we spend some time in the spite house, don't we? We spend some time locked up, caged up, living so beneath what we could be because we're angry and we're offended and we're hurt. Man, what if like Jesus, we said, no, I'm gonna make myself a servant. I'm gonna choose, it's a choice. I'm gonna make myself, it doesn't just happen, right? I'm gonna make myself a servant by the Holy Spirit's empowerment because I'm united with Christ. I have his comfort because I have the Holy Spirit because I've been given these gifts. They matter to me and because they matter to me, they're gonna impact how I live. And Paul, how should I live because of that? Well, you should have one mind. You should be like-minded, but I'm not like-minded with people because I don't have the same mind as them about a lot of things. But you're, you can come around Jesus. You can rally around Jesus. That has to be all of it for you and me. And so what does it look like to walk through this season rallying around Jesus? What does it look like to see our nation healed with the brokenness racially rallied around Jesus? Uh, figure out, gosh, how are we gonna do church? How are we gonna like function with these divides about masks and safety? Okay, maybe we're just gonna live Jesus higher, right? How are we gonna get through November 2nd? Oh man, Lord Jesus, gotta help me. Gotta help me, gotta help me, gotta help my my whole attitude and my whole demeanor and all that I'll do and all that I'll say. God, how, how do I navigate my marriage, which is hurting, maybe you'd say today, or how do I get navigate my kids or my grandkids, which, man, that, that relationship's broken and it's breaking my heart. I know where to start. I know where to start. I'm gonna take all my expectations off the table like Jesus did, even though he deserved all of them. I'm gonna make myself nothing. I take on this mindset, this freneo of Christ. And I'll choose to be unoffendable because of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard me talk about Jesus coming and dying and being placed in the grave. And the beautiful news is the best news ever is he rose back from the dead and he changes lives and he, and he forgives and he runs toward messes and he runs toward the brokenness and he, and he longs to bring healing and hope to you and me and to give you eternal life, not based on your ability, but based on his grace. And so if you wanna put your trust in Jesus today, I'm gonna pray with you now. But if you're a follower of Jesus, man, it is time to rally around him and have this mindset of Christ, even when it, it costs us everything, like it cost him. I'll choose to be unoffendable because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we need your help, Lord. There is a tension in all this. There is a balance in all this. It's, it's, 
It's tricky. It's hard to live this out. But thank you that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you that we have the word of God to help us navigate all of this. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us and empower us in some beautiful ways this week. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just need you to to name something that's going to change this week. And you know what? You're not going to get it perfectly. You and I, we will stumble. Even the stuff we name right now, we won't get it perfectly. But what are you going to aim at this week to be different? What can you look at and say, Lord, I'm going to, like you, I'm going to make myself nothing when it comes to my expectations of what I'm owed in this relationship. Lord, I'm going to take on the mindset of Christ. Lord, I'm going to rally around you with the believers here today, even though we believe differently about X, Y, or Z. God, I'm going I'm to let that impact that. I'm going to let it impact how I act in school or work. I'm going to let it impact that, that relationship with my kids or my grandkids that I let deteriorate because they believe this or that because I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm generations apart. And so we think so differently and I've let that divide break a relationship. So, so today's the day I, I choose to be like Christ and humble myself and I love Some of us need to apologize. Some of us need to get ourselves out of that spite house. Say, Lord, I'm so sick of living in these five foot by 104 foot walls. I'm so limited in here. I'm such a captive of my own unforgiveness. God, I need you to set me free. I need you to help me forgive. I need you to help me get out of this. Just name something today. Let it matter. Like Paul said, it should matter. If you're not a father of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, you can pray with me now. And just say, Jesus, thank you for your gift of life. Thank you for forgiveness, love, mercy. Thank you that what Paul said today is true of me. Now I'm united with you, Jesus. And you're putting your Holy Spirit in my life. And I can be comforted by your love and held by your compassion. I don't deserve this, Jesus, but thank you for this gift. And God, I pray now you'll show me how to live an unoffendable life and rally around you. Thank you for this gift. In your name I pray.